Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Let's pray together. Let's just each lift up to him the things that burden us. The, sometimes it's the fear that lurks around the corner that we don't want to have to think about that's there. But as we were singing this morning, the songs, it was reminding us of a reality that there is always hope in Jesus. And if you feel like hope has become faint for you, let the Lord breathe on that hope again this morning. Lord, we ask indeed for that breath of your spirit, God, as we were singing about hope reviving and being refreshed. Jesus, you rose from the dead. There is nothing impossible for you. Lord, thank you that you are the God who brings gives encouragement and good hope. And Lord, I, I pray you would breathe that encouragement and good hope to each one of us. God, in the situations and challenges that we're facing at home, as we look at our future, God, even as we look in the mirror and we struggle with lack of change in our own hearts, Lord, we lift our eyes to you and we thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful and true. You are good and you are able. We bless your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, throughout the summer, I, I've been seeing signs for certain stores with sort of specials saying that, you know, summer doesn't have to be over yet. And, and even though we're past Labor Day and school is back in session and stuff, we're not actually done with our summer learning series here in the church. We're, we're going to get another week or two of the sermon series and the lessons that we've been doing through the summer, which is a theme based around questions that God asks. Because God does relationships using questions. He's not just a talker, he's a listener. And in fact, God is a better listener than most of us realize. He really cares about the honest answers of our hearts, things that are going on inside us. And he'll draw near to us with questions, not as like rhetorical devices or to win an argument, but as relational devices to draw us closer to himself. And we've looked at a number of different questions that the Bible shows us God asking people throughout various generations and stages in history. And this morning, we're we're looking at where God himself came as a human, where God had left heaven and in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, he was walking the planet in a human body. And Jesus also is asking people certain questions. And we're going to look this morning at uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 8. And we're going to look at how Jesus has a profound encounter with a woman who's being shamed as a tool for political purposes. And, And we're going to see how differently Jesus sees and responds to us in the middle of our failings than the way other people do. And how he uses his power. He's got the power to judge. How he's going to use that power to extend mercy. Amen. Let's read that. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 1. You can tell you're in the middle of things that have been happening. Uh, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And and John, as an editorial remark, gives us the insight. He says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But look what Jesus did. 
It says, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's one, there's just one thing that we would take home together this morning is that Jesus has the final word in forgiveness. That is what Jesus has to say. That's the last word on the subject of forgiveness. Now, there's a lot we can learn about him and his heart as we take a deeper look at this. I want to come back to how when it comes to forgiveness, Jesus has the last word. But let's take a look at some of the issues that are in play here, because there's quite a bit that's going on, sort of swirling around the dynamic between Jesus and this woman. And because on the one hand, this is a story about sin and forgiveness, but there's also a sense in which it's about power and the politics of shame that we see here. And I want to emphasize it. It's not okay with Jesus to use people as pawns in a political game. It's not okay with him. It's not okay with Jesus to take people who are made in the image of God and to use them as tools to manipulate and to advance our own political agenda. And when I say political, I don't just mean like in national politics. I mean to try to use them as leverage to get what we want in things. Does that make sense? Jesus is not willing to play a political game with somebody's life. You know, the text text here is specific in verse 6, what the accusers are doing, right? What are they trying to do? Loudly, Sarah, I couldn't hear you. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're using her as a pawn in their power chess game. And Jesus isn't having anything to do with their game. He's not willing to play it on their terms. No, as they set this up, they take this woman whom they'd caught in the act of adultery and they try to use her as a setup to take down Jesus. And Jesus won't endorse their use of her shame for their goals. And it just matters that you and I remember God, God treats people with dignity. Humans, we have a way of using people as tools to try to move ourselves forward. But Jesus isn't willing to have any part of that. He won't even answer them. He's just going to not even look at them. They try to pull him into this political thing, and he won't even look up and talk to him. He just stoops down, and he's riding in the dirt. And one of the really important things that Jesus is showing us here is found in his silence. It's found in his unwillingness to get pulled into things that heaven, that they don't fit in heaven. Does that make sense? And sometimes you and I were tempted to get pulled into things that heaven doesn't want to have anything to do with. Keep your eyes on the dignity of people and don't get pulled into the way people will scheme and use other people's shame 
to try to advance their agenda. I mean, we know how persistent Jesus's silence was because because it said here in verse seven, when they kept on questioning him, I get the feeling it was a little in your face that Jesus wasn't willing to play by their rules and jump into their uh, agenda because they had to keep on trying to bust in to get his attention. Another thing Jesus is showing us here is that it's also it's not okay to only blame the woman. It's not okay. We've got to see that there's something about Jesus' perspective here and how he engages with the situation. Because it matters that you and I see people like Jesus does. Right? So this woman, she was, quote is, she was caught in the act of adultery. How many people does that require? Greater Greater than one. Right? There's got to be greater than one people involved. And yet... And so she can't have been doing that alone. One thing you cannot do alone is adultery. And and so there's somebody else involved. And it's not okay with Jesus when the vulnerable person is being punished while the powerful person is getting protected. It's not okay with him. Jesus comes to the aid of the victim here. And he's not willing to let her shame be used as a tool, nor is he willing to just have her singled out as the one who ought to be punished. Now, the fact that they're using this situation and this woman as a trap for Jesus, it shows us that they already, the accusers, they already had an expectation that Jesus was not going to be willing to go along with them just stoning her. Do you see that? Somehow, they already knew enough about Jesus to know we can set this guy up because he's probably going to be merciful. All right. You know what? Maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe Jesus being known for being merciful is supposed to say something to us about the heart of God. That they have to say, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what about you? They presumed he would disagree with their judgmentalism because of what they already knew about him. And as it turns out, they were correct now, but you might say, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, this woman, she was a participant in the adultery and she is a sinner. And, you know, you can't just gloss over that, right? You know, because here I am, I'm talking about her as a victim. And you may be saying, whoa, 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 she had a role to play in that. She was there too, right? And she was caught in the act of adultery. That's her responsibility. And so don't mishear me. I'm not saying that she was exclusively a victim with respect to her sin. She's a sinner too. But watch this. Jesus sees something that sometimes we miss. She is a victim of their abuse of power. She is being victimized by the way that the powerful authorities here are taking hold of her shame, dragging her out publicly, and using what she's done not only to shame her more, but to selectively punish her and not the other other person or persons who were involved in the adultery. This has got to challenge you and me. Because when we look at people who are in crisis, who are in distress, who are in trouble today, it's really tempting for us to blame them and to focus on the responsibility that they had in getting into that mess in the first place. There's something in us that can be quick to say, 
But that was their fault. That was their responsibility. And it's tempting to focus on what they've done wrong or could have done differently or ways that they might have contributed to putting themselves into that difficult situation. But the way that Jesus has compassion on this woman is what sets him apart from the Pharisees. It's what sets God in the flesh apart from the written law. He doesn't ignore her sin, but he has compassion on what what I think we could call the sinful victim. Does that make sense as a phrase, a sinful victim? It's not that we don't have some responsibility in the messes that we're in. But the, but Jesus is able to look as well and see a victim that he's willing to help. And I think there's a couple particular areas where this can and should challenge you and me. And one is the people in my life that I actually know and have to deal with on some semi-regular basis who are dealing with troubles that they've had a role in causing themselves, but which affects me negatively. And, and they've sometimes offended you, hurt you, happens with me that particular ways, I'm tempted to be judgmental about the situation they're in and resent that it has any implications back on me. And Jesus shows us here that compassion, not judging, is the right way to respond. And there should be a caution for us about being too quick to demand that God judge people for their sins. The second area, the second category, is not so much with the people that I actually interact with personally, it's with the people who are out there somewhere that I know that I don't see as individuals, but are easy for me to see as a category. Because it, did you see in, in the text here, the accusers came and they said, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Let's just make a sweeping category. All those adulterers, bad people out there. We're going to categorize them. But Jesus sees an individual who has dignity, who's made in the image of God, who needs the love and mercy of God. And the second area that this challenges me is with respect to groups of people that are out there that I just find easy to categorize. And it might be for you that it's the people who live in Gary or people who live in trailer parks or those immigrants who are trying to come into our country and do things. And we just, and we categorize things. But heaven sees every heart. And Jesus sees each person. And there's a challenge here for you and me not to stereotype groups of people, but to let Jesus' compassion cause us to see people differently and to resist the temptation to judge or condemn and instead to have compassion. Does that make sense? Let's, let's dive into what Jesus has to say to the woman herself. Because there's this remarkable thing that goes on. I mean, Jesus, like he gets up to speak twice. The first time is to the accusers because they've been badgering him and pestering him. And, and, and he finally says, okay, well then let whoever of you has no sin be the first to throw a stone. And one after another, you hear, you hear a quiet thud, thud, as stones are being dropped and men are starting to walk away. The older ones first. And then there's just two people left kind of in the center of where all the action was. And Jesus, he's still writing in the dirt again. And when the accusers are gone, he straightens up again. And he looks directly at this woman. 
And he asks her two questions. And he invites her to look at where her accusers are now. They're gone. And he invites her to look at himself. And he draws her attention to himself. And he asks these questions. Woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she looks and she finds that he's put her accusers to flight. And they're gone. And now there's only one voice that still matters. There's still one judge who could condemn her. And she's standing right in front of him. And he says this. I don't condemn you either. Go. Live free. Leave that sin. There's a better future for you in forgiveness. That's our Jesus. That is our Jesus. When Jesus has the power to condemn, he forgives. And in the moments where you and I realize that there's only one voice that still really matters, that aside from all the shouts of the angry crowd and all the accusations, I'm saying that there's one voice that matters. It's what Jesus has to say over your life. Jesus doesn't accuse. There's, You know what's not in debate here? What is never in debate here is whether she's guilty. There's no excuses. There's no denial. There's there's no effort to try to say that there isn't a breaking of the law. There, there's never there's nothing in here to try to make excuses or find exoneration in the circumstances. No, it comes in the compassion and the mercy of God himself saying, be free. You're forgiven. Leave that life of sin. There's a better future for you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that Jesus brings and does. It's Jesus, not her accusers, who actually has the authority. It's Jesus, not her accusers, who has the final word. It's Jesus, not her accusers, who's the one who really decides her future. Jesus' question, where are they? Where are they? Meaning, where are your accusers? You know, he's also asking us. In a sense, in the question, when it comes to you and me, it, it asks, so whom are you giving the authority to accuse you? Whose voice are you giving the authority to judge you and determine your worth in your future? Where are they? Look around. Whose voices are the ones that you're listening to? Are they drowning out the voice of Jesus? Do you need to turn and look face to face with Jesus and hear his voice alone instead? Jesus has the final word. What he has to say is heaven's decree. Only Jesus has the final authority in judgment and in forgiveness. And he's focused here on giving mercy. So much so that Jesus went to the cross himself to pay the price and penalty for all of our sin and to take on himself all of the shame that comes from our sin so that you and I 
can receive lasting and complete forgiveness from God himself. And you know what? Jesus here, instead of passing judgment on the woman, he passes judgment on her judges. Jesus judges her judges. He says, oh, there's not just one sinner here. There's not one sinner here. As long as we're talking about putting people into sort of sweeping stereotypical categories, let me just point out that there's two kinds of sinners there that day in the temple courts. There were two kinds of sinners. There's this woman who is guilty, couldn't deny it, wasn't trying to hide it at that point. She knew, she admitted, she accepted, I am a sinner and I've done it. And then there's a whole bunch of guys with rocks who've been hiding it, pretending that they've got it all together and that they're the ones who should uphold God's standards for him. You know, one of them was forgiven. One of them, the woman who didn't deny it, pretend or try to avoid, but who came to find the mercy of Jesus. She was forgiven. And the others, they walked away. Don't let that be you today. By all means, drop the stones that you may be throwing at somebody else in your judgmentalism. But don't walk away from Jesus when every one of us needs his mercy too. Ultimately, you and I, just like this woman, we stand before a single judge. There's one voice that matters. And that's regardless of who you feel is accusing you. It's regardless of whose approval you are striving for and striving for. I've been trying to get for years. It's regardless of how loud and angry the voices of others seem to be. Ultimately, there's only one voice that matters. And when we turn humbly to Jesus, not concealing or denying our sin, but throwing ourselves humbly on his mercy, he says, I do not condemn you. His voice speaks forgiveness, not condemnation. And that is the mercy of our God. That's the good news of Jesus Christ to us. There is also, it's not the last thing Jesus says to her. It's not the end of the story. It's her new beginning. It's, it's not, it's the end for her accusers. It's the final word on her forgiveness. But that final word on her forgiveness is the doorway of, it's the dawn of a new future for her. She says this, go now. And leave your life of sin. At the very moment that could have been the very end of her physical life. As she's under a death sentence. There's resurrection. Into a newness of life and a new hope and a future. As the forgiveness of Jesus gives her a new future. When we turn to Jesus for forgiveness. He calls us into a new life. He calls us into a new lifestyle. Responding to forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, it's a day of freedom for us. It is a chance for us for freedom. Jesus at no point denies or excuses her sin, but he chooses not to condemn and he gives her a gift of a new future. His declaration of forgiveness, it's also a call to a new life. And we can't try to separate those. Please, I mean, you can't. I mean, Jesus 
probably doesn't even take a breath in between. These are two sides of the same thing. That Jesus grants us forgiveness and he calls us to a repentance and a new life. It's one call. It is the gift of forgiveness and a future wrapped up together. Forgiveness calls us into a new life and a new lifestyle. Because forgiveness, forgiveness is deliverance from death. I think, I think currently we kind of forget that because death seems kind of removed and remote and we don't connect the fatal consequences of sin. But for this woman, it was real. Oh, it got really real that morning. Her sin was exposed. Just like the Bible says, the paycheck of sin, it's death. You may not have a mob with stones ready to execute you. But death is the certain reward of sin. And without the mercy of God, we are each facing death because of our sin. Brothers and sisters, it matters that we go and leave our patterns of sin. Forgiveness is not a license to keep on living in sin. It's a deliverance opportunity for you and I to be free from the bondage of that sin. Don't imagine, please, sin deceives. That is part of what the devil has done from the beginning. And sin is deceptive. It's like hell has a great marketing department. Maybe you've noticed that. Sin is deceptive. And do not be deceived into thinking sin is your friend. When God calls us out of sin, he's not trying to take away from us that thing that we really enjoy that's going to fulfill us. He is rescuing us from destruction because sin is slavery. It's bondage that will kill and destroy us. Sin is out to destroy you. And God's love wants to call you out of it into a better hope and future. And if you need to renew your perspective on sin, just get on your knees before the Lord. Say, Lord, help me see my sin like you do. And ask the Lord to give you a new perspective so that you can see the destructiveness of sin. Listen, I want to urge you, if you are living in areas of sin in your life, where you're you're coming to church and maybe you're ashamed because you know you shouldn't, or maybe you just love it and you're doubling up, listen, please don't wait until you're caught in the act. God loves you enough that the harvest will come in your sin. Don't wait until you're caught in the act. Don't wait until everything else comes crumbling around you before you turn to Jesus with it. Come to Jesus out of the darkness, into light, just as you are, before you're dragged out. Come to Jesus, even in your shame, and find forgiveness in a future. Because part of the trap of the devil and the way sin deceives us is there's a lie that tells you there's no way out. It's a lie that says there's no hope. It can't be any different. And you have to keep hiding it and you're trapped. But Jesus is your rescue. Jesus is your deliverance. Don't wait until the paycheck of sin arrives. Come to him now. Let today be the day. Don't wait. If you're involved in sexual sin, guys, if you're stuck in pornography, you're doing that, it's a trap that's going to destroy you. Don't wait to get caught out. Come to Jesus in advance and find his mercy. We have friends in this church who are willing to walk with you in that process. Kind of wherever it is, whether it's pornography, other sexual sin, there may be other addictions that you have that have just trapped your life. This is a community where there are people, in some cases, specific people who've been there 
in the same situation you're in who are willing to walk alongside you in that. So don't wait until you're caught out, until the love of God pulls you out of darkness into light. Just walk out to Jesus. And I want to invite us all just to humbly draw near to Jesus together as the musicians come up and the ushers are going to begin to distribute the communion elements for us. I just have three things particular that I want to invite us to come to the Lord in prayer about. The first is maybe maybe you've been quick to judge other people. You're quick to judge others and are upset because it seems like Jesus isn't willing to do things on your terms with respect to judging their sin. Jesus calls each of us into mercy, not judgment. Um, just so you know, uh, maybe you're new. I don't want to take too much for granted. As these guys are passing the, the trays and the bread and cup, you go ahead and take a piece of bread. Go ahead and take a cup of juice. This is so that we can share communion together in a few minutes. It's... It's a beautiful manifestation of the grace of God. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. But hear this. Where you and I are prone to judgmentalism, Jesus is calling us into mercy. He's revealing you and I, we're not the ones with the authority to condemn. Only he does. So let's put down our stones and embrace his mercy. Secondly, Maybe you've been hearing those angry, accusing voices shouting out, echoing in your head about your own failures, about your sins. Some of it may be clear sin. Some of it may be in the, the might have beens, the shoulda, coulda, woulda, oughtaves. As you wonder, you know, what's gone on with your kids and the marriage that you had and you just don't know how it went and you can't get away from that accusation. I want to invite you to stand before Jesus today. And know that his voice is the only one that matters. Just humbly admit it to him. Don't be ashamed to the one who knows, who took your shame. To say, Lord, this is what happened. I know this. And ask him for his mercy. Without denying, explaining, or making excuses. Just ask him for his mercy and he will give it to you freely. He already went to the cross. To pay that price for your sins. And then thirdly. Are you hearing his call. To a new life. And a new lifestyle. I want to challenge you. To take up dreams again fresh. Because nothing's impossible to the Lord. I want to challenge you to leave the sin. That keeps you trapped. That keeps you stuck. Don't keep playing around with sin. Saying to yourself. Oh yeah you know what. I'll stop. That day's going to come. You know, take seriously today his call to repentance and change and take steps out of the darkness into the light without waiting to be caught. These three areas, just our own judgmental attitudes towards others, the areas where we feel accusation ourselves and need to put the voice of Jesus above every other voice. And thirdly, is just our own conduct in secret and in public that we'd honor the Lord from the inside out. Let's just... I'm just going to invite you to take a minute or two. We're going to pray and then Matt will lead us in communion. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come for your forgiveness. And we admit that 
in many ways were both like this woman and like those who were accusing her. Desperately in need of your mercy ourselves and yet quick to judge others. Would we admit that? Would we want your heart for others, God, where we're quick to assign responsibility to them? God, instead make us instruments of your peace, instruments of your mercy. Lord, adjust our eyes. Help us to see differently. Let us be quick to forgive. Lord, I want to pray, God, for precious sons and daughters, men and women here, God, my brothers and sisters, who are hearing all the voices of the accusers. Lord, let your voice come through clearly. Lord, we're asking for the mercy that only you can provide. Lord, we're asking for that word of forgiveness that can only come from you. Lord, would you silence the accuser for my brothers, my sisters. Lord, would you silence them that they would hear your voice. Let the forgiveness of heaven flow. Jesus' name. Lord, that the past sins that seem to mark our present and our future would no longer define what we do next. Instead, oh Jesus, let your freedom flow. Let your freedom flow, Lord, as as we come as we come before you, God. Nothing to our credit, but you call us to a new life. Lord, how we cherish your forgiveness. Lord, the power of heaven that sets us free from sin to live a new life. God, and I pray that today would be that day of new beginning for everyone who needs it. In Jesus' name.